Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. So I saw in the chat as Michael was speaking with Doomberg that a lot of you wanted me to do kind of a follow-up and give you my thoughts on the conversation. So I figured I would do that. First and foremost, it was great uh, to have Michael on. Definitely a good sport. And uh, he was willing to kind of go back and forth a bit. I think my initial thoughts on our conversation was I was really trying to talk about Bitcoin as money or using it as as the, the standard of money, like the Bitcoin standard. And Michael, I guess, I don't know, it's weird because I've heard him talk about that a lot in interviews. I mean, constantly. But, you know, he, he wanted to more talk about Bitcoin versus other assets. And, you know, the, the benefits of, of holding Bitcoin compared to dollars when really that's, I mean, I think that's an interesting conversation, but that's, as you guys know, from watching the channel, that that's not what really gets my juices flowing. Uh, what I really like to think about is the entire monetary system and the entire global economy and just, and just the macro implications. So I always think through the probability of, as an example, uh, us having deflation as a result of having sound money, or whether that's Bitcoin, gold, anything. And, uh, and then how that interplays with the current system of quote unquote money printing, which you guys know that the government really doesn't print money. I mean, I, there's an argument how government spending monetized by the Fed can definitely increase M2, assuming that the primary dealers are buying from the uh, non-bank entities. And you guys, I, I talked about that at nauseum. Um, but if you go back prior to the GFC, and this is one of the things that I, I tried to touch on uh, with Michael between 1950 and 2000, just give me a step-by-step -step as to how the government, quote unquote, prints money. <laughs> Nobody could do that. Nobody can do it. because Why? Because the government really doesn't print money, especially prior to the GFC. And if they spend it through taxation, or if they spend it, they've got to tax it, or they've got to sell bonds, or they're taking money out of the system and putting money right back in. But to think that the, the government has been printing money, and that's why we've had all of this inflation, you know, so let's say from 1950 to 2000. That's just not true. It's not true. And that's one of the fundamental premises of the, the, not just the Bitcoin community, but the gold bugs and the Austrians is that, you know, uh, 1971, we went off the gold standard. So this just gave free reign to the government to quote unquote, print money and to do all these things. And, and once you understand that that's not true, it completely changes your framework and it changes your worldview. And then you start to realize that if we want to reduce the probabilities of having inflation in the future, we can't just focus on the money supply because that in and of itself is not the problem. And if you just look at history, it becomes perfectly clear that it's, it's more so a result of the money supply, in, which by the way, is, is mostly controlled by the banking system and the Euro dollar system, as you guys know, and even was controlled by the banking system going back to the last gold, real gold standard that we had in the last eight, in the uh, late 1800s. But it's a result of that M2 increasing at a much faster rate than real GDP. So then you say, okay, George, so then the, the, that's the real delta we should be focusing on. So that means that 
when do we see this fluctuation in real GDP? Because even when we go back to the 1800s, the money supply was increasing rapidly. And that's without the government, quote unquote, printing money. The banks were doing it. You guys know that even back then, the, the commercial banks were creating the majority of the M2 money supply that we had. So you have to assume that money supply is going to increase broad money. And even if it doesn't increase, even if we have a fixed supply of money, if the amount of goods and services is going down, productivity going down relative to that fixed money supply, what are consumer prices going to do? They're going to go up. They're going to go up. And the value of your Bitcoin is going to decrease relative to goods and services. You see, so now you could argue that under a Bitcoin standard, the probability is that we would have a decrease in government spending. Fine. But no Bitcoiner, and even Michael Saylor, I don't think would go on the record as saying that there's a 100% chance that we see a reduction in government spending as a percentage of GDP, just like they would say there's a 100% chance that there's only 21 Bitcoin or 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be available. And, and that's just math, right? And, and that's really my point because so many of these, uh, the, the, the people in the community, they make their decisions on how to allocate their, what percentage of Bitcoin or what percentage of their portfolio should be allocated to Bitcoin. They make their decision based on what they hear that there's just 21 million Bitcoin. Therefore, they're, once Bitcoin becomes money or once Bitcoin becomes the national money, let's say, replaces the dollar, then I, I have a 100% guarantee that that Bitcoin is going to increase in value relative to goods and services. So I'm just going to hodl and I'm just going to give this Bitcoin to my children or whatever. And I'm just going to take out a, a, a 30 year loan or whatever, you know, mortgage. And I'm just going to take all this risk because I know that it's an inevitability. And, and that's because they're coming to that conclusion because they get fixated on the money supply when the real evil, if you will, is government spending, which we could see at the same rate, even on Bitcoin standard, because you say, well, George, it's going to be harder for them to tax. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I think even the, the poll that I did uh, the other day on Twitter, where a lot of people in the Bitcoin community answered it, the, the answers were all over as far as if the revenue coming into the government would be higher or lower. And so you could argue that, uh, that the um, government spending would be, I don't know. Yes, you could argue that it would be higher as a percentage, that's for sure. But even if you say that it would be lower, is it going to be low enough to ensure that we would always have deflation with a fixed base money? And, and in my opinion, the answer is no, you cannot say that with, with any level of, of certainty whatsoever. And um, so the fundamental assumptions that I was referring to at the beginning that I pushed back on is that sound money, regardless of gold standard, Bitcoin standard, whatever, sound money is going to result in deflation. I would strongly push back on that assertion. And that number two is that the, 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 the cause of all this inflation that we've had, you know, going back to that chart of the dollar just decreasing, which you guys have, have all seen a million times, is a result of government, quote unquote, printing money with the help of the Federal Reserve. And that's just, that's, that's unequivocally false. But yet it's said over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, to the point where people just assume that it's true. And, and, and if they make that, that logical uh, error, 
then this leads them into doing just completely miscalculating the probabilities of everything else occurring. And that would definitely impact, you know, what percentage of their portfolio they allocate to Bitcoin. That That's why I'm, I'm splitting hairs here. That's why I'm getting into the minutia. That's why I think it's so critical that you get into the details because you can sit there and say that, oh, George, let's just, you're overcomplicating it. Let's just keep it simple. Let's keep it simple. Well, that's fine. I, I'm all for keeping it simple, but I don't want to oversimplify it to where we lose accuracy. And, and this is what uh, I think uh, uh, the, the Austrians, Bitcoin, gold bugs, a, lot, a large percentage of those communities, I think this is the blind spot that they have. And, you know, let's go back to the GFC. Why did almost every single Austrian get inflation wrong? Why? Why? Because they didn't understand money printing. Almost every single Austrian, not, not all, but almost every single one thought that quantitative easing would lead to almost hyperinflation. Why didn't it? And now I granted it was definitely the inflation rate was higher than the CPI would lead you to believe, but it didn't lead to hyperinflation. Why? Because exactly what we're talking about. They don't understand money printing. They don't understand the variables that go into a decrease or an increase in M2 money supply. Here's another problem. Andrew C says over the span of 500 years, absolutely a fixed money supply always results in deflation assuming there is innovation that results in higher productivity. So let's go back to the chart, guys, that I used here. I would just ask, obviously what we want to focus on is broad money. Because when you're talking about inflation or deflation, this is you want to focus on the number of currency units that are actually in the economy circulating, chasing goods and services. Right? That's, that's why we look at M2. So the assertion there is that we had this fixed money supply throughout history, until the Federal Reserve came in, and then the money supply just went exponential. Look, just take the time to, to look at the, the data. Look, 1870, we were on the strictest of gold standards, let's say, 1870 to 1900. And the money supply increased by 400%. Just show me a time in history where the money supply didn't increase. So th there, there hasn't been because, we, well, I shouldn't say in, in all of history, but let's just go back a couple hundred years here. Show me when the money supply wasn't increasing, right? And then you say, well, George, if we wouldn't have had this increase by 400%, then we would have had a lot more deflation, beneficial deflation. Because keep in mind, even with this 400% increase, we had uh, the CPI go down by 45%, so call it 50% deflation, right? But then what this would assume is that there's a one-to-one -one relationship with quote-unquote money printing. So every additional currency unit equals additional inflation. So if the money supply just would not have grown, would have been to zero, then the deflation would have been, let's just say 100% or something like that. But then that, that doesn't hold up. If you look at the chart, you keep going and you see that there's times when like uh, right here. So now we're at uh, the money supply as an example. During this time frame, we're at uh, 350% and we have inflation at 63. So you've got a much smaller delta there. You have a, a much higher increase 
in um, the, the price of goods and services, but yet you have a decrease in the money supply. Well, how do you explain that? If we have this one-to-one relationship, how, how do you explain that? So the conclusion that you have to come to is that even if we did have a fixed money, when and I'm talking about broad money, I'm talking about base money. I'm talking about even if you were to say that we're going to have 21 million currency units for the next 30 years, you still can't assume that we would have deflation because the, the variable that you don't know there is government spending as a percentage of GDP. That's unknowable. Now, you can argue that it would be lower, but you, maybe you could argue that it would be higher. It, it isn't set in stone. And this is my point. So Again, if you had a fixed money supply, but you had the amount of goods and services going down because government spending as a percentage of the overall economy was increasing, then you most likely would see consumer prices going up even with a fixed money supply. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Ceresna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. And then, you know, we go back to, uh, well, we just go, let's say 1950 here, uh, so look at this. We have an increase in M2 by 684%. Well, again, I would challenge anyone watching this video to, to give me a step-by-step process between 1950 and 1980 as to how the government, with the help of the Federal Reserve, printed money. How, how, how does that happen? So step one. The government spends money. Step two, step three, step four, and you end with an increase in M2. Go, go ahead and try to pencil it out. Go home and use your own whiteboard. Use a, a notepad. Just try to figure it out. And the conclusion that you'll come to is, hmm, yeah, the government didn't print money. The banks did. The banks did. And then you say, well, George, they're, they can, they'll print way more money under a fiat. I mean, just look at 1971. We go off the gold standard. And that gold standard was restricting the amount of money that the banks could create. Really? Again, let's, let's look at, I mean, you can even look at this because it's just over 500%. But to make it more impactful, let's just look at this 1990, call it, or 1988 to 2019. Look at this time frame where... <laughs> you had M2 go up by about 400%. This is complete fiat. It, it isn't backed by anything. So we've got the, the fractional reserve system going just out of control. We have the banks completely unconstrained. We have you know, 
government quote unquote money printing, although they're not printing money. So this is a complete fiat system from this call it uh, 30 years, right? And the money supply went up by 400%. And at the exact same time frame, 30 years, with zero government printing, with zero Fed, somehow the money supply increased by the exact same amount. See? The conclusion you have to come to is that, now it is true, and that, like Michael said, the Civil War, the government definitely printed money. They, they, they literally printed M2. They printed green pieces of paper and, and uh, spent them into the economy. And this is the way the Austrians or the sound money people think the economy works today. That the, when the government spends money or deficit spends or they just kind of print green pieces of paper or, or they do that through the Fed. And, and then you ask them, okay, well, if the Fed buys from a bank, then how does that increase M2? And they, they just, uh, 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 it's like they just put their hands over their ears. Uh, like they don't even want to <laughs> go down that path. Or you just ask them, well, prior to the GFC, how, how does that happen? Right? The, the bottom line is it doesn't. Now you go back to World War II, fine. But you got 50 years, for heaven's sakes, between 1950 and 2000. How did that money supply increase by this much? It wasn't the government. It wasn't the Fed. The banking system. The banking system. If the banking system is going to increase the money supply by that, like that, and if you don't have a corresponding increase in real GDP, you're going to get inflation. And that's what we're trying to avoid here. So the bottom line is, is in, you know, a sailor accused me of trolling and doing it. No, 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 I'm not trolling. I'm trying to get engagement. You know, they, they accuse me of that all the time. Someone who accuses me of engagement, that that's my motivation. They don't understand how YouTube works. They really don't understand social media because if I wanted to get, if I want to maximize on engagement, what I would do is I would, I would take a position like being bullish on Bitcoin or bullish on gold or bullish on silver or bullish on all three. And I would just repeat that over and 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 over again. I would have my, my, I would talk about the Fed. I would talk about inflation. I would talk about deflation. But every single conversation that we had, every single live stream, every single whiteboard video would go right back to you got to buy Bitcoin. You got to buy gold. You got to buy silver. And you'd hear that over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because I would know that that's my, my audience and that's what they want to hear. And if I simply tell them what they want to hear, that's going to maximize on the engagement. But what do I do? You guys know this darn well. I do the complete opposite. I talk about inflation, deflation, gold going down in price, gold going up in price. I talk about Bitcoin being, uh, you know, positives about Bitcoin. I talk about the negatives. I talk about the trade-offs. I talk about all of these different ideas, knowing darn well that 95% of my audience might not like a specific idea I'm talking about, but I do it anyway. Why? Uh, that's, that's the worst thing that you could do for engagement. The, the reason is because for, for me to do this long-term, I have to prioritize the ability to discuss ideas and concepts that are important to me. Now, it, it's true. I'm going to try to, you know, I want to get views like everyone else. That's definitely fun, but that's not my priority. And I'm always going to prioritize trying to explore 
ideas, concepts, and truths, even if that pisses off the majority of the people that watch my videos. So that, that's another thing that gets under my skin, obviously, is when, I, when I'm accused of these things. And it's just the people don't, they don't understand that I, I'm actually doing the complete opposite of that. And the only reason I'm trying to push back on these ideas, because I see so many people in the, in the comments of my videos and out on Twitter that are taking all of this additional risk or even buying Bitcoin or gold or whatever, or making investment decisions based on false assumptions. So I'm just trying to offer counter arguments to the best of my ability. And sometimes I don't articulate them well. I, I get it. And I need, I need to do a better job of articulating some of these concepts that most people have never even thought about. And it's a blind spot because people just, they, they hear the thought leaders in the gold space, the Bitcoin space, or the Austrian space, hear just the government prints money, the government prints money, the government prints money, and they just accept it to be true. And so it, it's up to me to have an even better argument and to be able to articulate that clearly and concisely so people can hopefully start thinking about, well, maybe that isn't true. And maybe there's more to this that I need to think about in order to make better investment decisions in the future. And, and that's why I get so worked up about this stuff. And it just, and when people, when I go out there on Twitter on the videos and I can just see people in the comments that they just, it's still what I'm saying is just not resonate. It's just not, it's not sinking in. And it just, oh man, it just, it really gets me frustrated. It does. But that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and beat a dead horse, but I am going to continue to talk about it uh, intermittently uh, because it's just so important. And out of all the misconceptions that I have seen by the, the, the people that watch my videos or, or just even the people that don't, just investors in general, the biggest blind spot for them without a doubt, there's not even a close second is money. They just don't get money and how it's, it's, it's created, how, it, the, how the M2 supplier, the currency units, why they go up, why they go down, how is money created? They just don't get it. And ironically, they think they do. Like if you ask the average investor, you know, what their level of competency is when it comes to money or money creation, they would say, oh, it's very, very high. And if, and you sit down and ask them some questions and then it's just like, wow, wow. They're just, uh, they're completely clueless, completely clueless. So uh, one thing that I, I didn't mention, I think you guys might've heard me uh, say it. And I, I, you know, I didn't want, I wanted to go through this entire chart to point out some things that I think are, are accurate, but Michael, you know, didn't, wasn't really uh, discussing Bitcoin being used as, as, as money, right? Or at least uh, from the standpoint of transactional in the United States where the goods and services uh, were denominated in Bitcoin. And that, that, that's what I wanted to talk about. So I felt as though if I would have gone through this entire chart and gone over it in detail, that it, it would have just, it wouldn't have been that applicable to what he was saying in this discussion. Although I think it would have been extremely applicable to other discussions that he has had in the past, but for whatever reason, he just, he didn't want to go down that path today and he's the guest. And, um, 
you know, I, I need to be respectful of that and just try to keep the conversation moving forward instead of uh, getting confrontational, let's say. And I, I didn't, that, that doesn't help anybody, you know? So uh, in an effort just to focus on what he wanted to talk about, I didn't really go through this chart to the extent that I wanted to, to help prove my points to the people out there, regardless of the community, that are just so hyper-focused on sound money being a panacea. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Hopefully you enjoyed the discussion. And as always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. And in the future, just assume that at some point in time, I am going to piss you off. (laughs) Because I guarantee you it's going to happen. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next video.